Good evening, everyone. I'm Ethan. This is my wife, Michelle, and daughter, Iris. We're going to be reading from Isaiah 9 and 11. I'll be reading Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, and then my wife, Michelle, will be reading 11, 1 through 5. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the path of the road, between the Jordan and the sea will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. I have a dancing angel. (laughs) So I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked, and he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) All right. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It is a Merry Christmas. Wow. I have to give props to the moms that were getting all the kids dressed up in costumes, and for Jessica corralling everybody in the front, it was a, a joy to watch you in action. <laughs> just so, I was just like, this is, yeah, this is amazing. I had some snide remarks, and I chose wisely to keep them to myself, so... <laughs> In all seriousness, now, Merry Christmas. We are so, so very glad that you are here. I know there are people coming here for the very first time. I know some of you are here visiting, maybe returning because you live someplace else. I know that many of us here are church family. We come regularly together every single week. Regardless of the situation or circumstance you find you in, the fact is we are here for one primary purpose, and that purpose is to bring great glory and honor to our great God and King, Jesus Christ. That's why we are here. So if you don't know why, if you don't know why, you're, maybe you felt I was here because I was drugged here. 
Perhaps there is another reason why you are going to be able to conclude on your way out, oh, we came because we're giving honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, these past four weeks, if you had been with us, and if you haven't been with us, I'm just going to give you a quick overview of where we've come these past four weeks over Advent. These past four weeks, we've learned together that God has been eager to tell us about a gift that he was sending to us ever since Genesis chapter 3, ever since the fall, ever since sin was introduced into God's shalom, his created shalom, ever since God says everything was good, but Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, that negatively corrupted or affected everything, but ever since then, God had been on a mission, a redemptive mission, and that redemptive mission was to save us from our sins. And so we see that through the patriarchs, right, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah, and so on, and we see through the prophets that God kept giving us clues, and he kept giving us descriptions that a gift would come, and that gift would change everything. He would give us a gift that would reverse the effects of sin and of death, and that gift was none other than his one and only son, Jesus the Christ. And not only was Jesus sent to destroy the effects of sin and death, but we also learned that he arrived in a very miraculous way, right? That Jesus, the Son of God, full of, fully God, full deity, also clothed himself with humanity. So he was fully God and he was fully man. And we also learned through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah tells us that Jesus, this Jesus The one who destroyed the works of the devil has many names or many titles. We learn that this Jesus, the promised one, this gift sent by God was called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor means that God has your best interest in mind and he knows everything about you. And so it is in our best interest to turn to him first in all things, because he's the one that knows us best, and he is the one that has the words of eternal life. We also learn that this promised one, Jesus, is mighty, mighty God, meaning that even though you and I are limited and powerless in so many situations in our life, we understand that Jesus is not limited that he is infinitely more able to do and, and provide all that we might ask or think. We learn that this Jesus, the promised one, is not just mighty, mighty God or wonderful counselor, but he's also everlasting Father, meaning that Jesus is the one who will protect you. He is the one who will provide for you. He's the one who will validate you and give you your identity. He's the one who is ever present with you. He's the one who loves you more than you can even imagine. He is the perfect Father. And as we learned this morning, this same Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Meaning that through Jesus, we can experience peace with God. We can experience peace with one another. And we can experience an inner peace, an inner shalom, in which we can conclude, it is well with my soul. So up to this point, we've learned that Jesus is mighty in how he came, and we learned also that Jesus is mighty in who he is, but tonight I want to, just for a brief moment, help us understand that this same Jesus is mighty 
and what he will do. He was mighty in what he will do. Listen to what the angel Gabriel says to, tells Mary, the mother of Jesus in Luke chapter 1. He says this, Behold, you will conceive in your, room, in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Isaiah the prophet resonates with the same angel's proclamation to Mary when he says in verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What is Isaiah, the prophet of God, telling not only the hearers 20, 700 years prior to the coming of Christ, what is he saying to us today? First of all, we need to understand what Isaiah is telling us. First, he's telling us this, that Jesus will rule universally. That Jesus' rule will be a universal rule. This phrase, the government shall be upon his shoulder. That government refers to his rule or to his authority. And the fact that the government rests or his rule rests upon Jesus' shoulder means that he carries the responsibility to rule. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end, Isaiah tells us. This means that the rule that Jesus has been given by his Father will continue to expand till he rules everything. This is what the Apostle Paul declares in Philippians chapter 2 when he says this, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The point is this, Jesus doesn't get voted in and he doesn't get voted out. His rule is universal. This child is both king and sovereign Lord over all his creation. So not only is Jesus the ruler over all things, his rule is universal, but we see that Jesus will rule eternally. His rule will be forever. It will never end. Of the increase of his government, Isaiah says, and of the peace, there will be no end. We live in a world, we live in times, ever since the beginning of the human race, where kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But Isaiah tells us that Jesus' rule will never fall. It only continues to rise and will be forevermore. And because Jesus' rule, his rule is eternal, that means also that his shalom, his eternal peace, also is equally eternal. Jesus will rule universally. Jesus will rule eternally. And finally, Jesus will rule powerfully. Listen to the very last statement Isaiah says in Isaiah 9, verse 7. The zeal 
of the Lord will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, nothing less than the zeal of the Lord can bring about all that will come to pass. Whatever God has purposed to do, He will do it. Nothing will stand in the way of God's redemptive plan to save us from our sins. That's good news, by the way. That's really good news. So if you and I were to ask this question, what is Christmas all about? That's right. It is about Jesus. One thing is for certain, heaven is not confused about what Christmas is all about. Heaven is not confused. They're not wondering, hey, what is really going to happen? Heaven is crystal clear from the beginning of time that God has been planning a miraculous arrival of His Son to restore that which was destroyed, to mend that which was severed, to bring back and reconcile us into right relationship with God the Father. How would God accomplish this? How would God reverse the devastating effects of sin in our world and in our lives? Well, ultimately, He would accomplish all this by the sending of His Son to bear the penalty for our sin so that you and I may inherit eternal life. One theologian said it this way, the shoulders that bear the government of the universe are the shoulders that bore the cross at Calvary. The same shoulders that that bears the government of the universe are the same shoulders that bore the cross to Calvary. So this means that our Christmas celebration only makes sense in light of that cross. The reason we celebrate Christmas is not that just another baby boy was born some 2,000 years ago. No, what we are truly celebrating is that a Savior has been born. That is what we are celebrating. That Jesus, the Savior of the world, was finally born. As the angels declared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And therefore, it is only appropriate that we participate in the Lord's Supper while we at the same time celebrate this Christmas celebration. Because only when we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ do we most fully celebrate the birth of Jesus. When you walked in here, you should have been handed some communion elements, if they have not already been kicked and spilled. But in all seriousness, as we celebrate, as we anticipate, as we look forward and long for even tomorrow, for the families being together, may we first and foremost anticipate, look forward to, and remember the goodness of God as perfectly manifested in His Son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know, does God love me? Then look no further than His Son, Jesus Christ. That's how much He loves you. And Jesus says this to His disciples on the eve of before He gave His life, before He laid down His life, the only perfect human being on the face of the earth, 
willingly laid down his life. He says, take this bread, eat it. It represents my body, which is broken for you. So together as a church family, we raise the bread as a way of declaration to ourselves and as a declaration to one another that we participate, that we believe, and we understand that what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, He gave His body and it was broken for us. Let us eat together in remembrance of our Savior. In the same manner, we also take the cup. This cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ, which was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. This isn't a tradition. This isn't a formality. This is something that we authentically and genuinely in a heartfelt way participate in and we remember it is only through the blood of Jesus that I can be reconciled to God. It is only through His sacrifice that I can have hope and peace and confident assurance that when I die, I will truly live. Jesus is the one who made that possible. He is the one who accomplished that on the cross. By His stripes, you and I are healed. So let us drink the blood of the Lamb that heals us and saves us for eternity. Heavenly Father, It is you that we seek to glorify. In Jesus Christ, it is you that we seek to honor. So tonight, Father, would you receive our response of praise? Would you receive our worship? And Father, we understand too that worship is not just the the words that we sing from our mouth. It's not just the thoughts that we think rightly about. But it is our lives. So just as you, Jesus, modeled perfectly what it meant to follow your Father and to be obedient to your Father, even to the point of death on a cross, would you empower us by your Spirit to worship you with every aspect of our being? Jesus, we celebrate you tonight. We celebrate and and honor and recognize that your coming to earth, though celebratory as it was, a finally a promise fulfilled, a long-awaited promise fulfilled, we know that, that the implication and the intent of your coming was to die so that we might live. And we also understand that one day you're coming back. You came first to save us, and now you're going to come back to receive us. So Father, may we be found ready. May we be found faithful. And if there's anybody in this room tonight that is still uncertain, that is still not sure of where they stand with you, may tonight be the night of their salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.